0: But for now, let's get to the episode, part of the apologetics series,
1: posted October 15th, 2020, titled Miracles at the Crucifixion of Christ. Most people would admit that if supernatural events occurred at the crucifixion of Christ, it would be the most significant event in history. I don't know about that, but it'd be pretty cool.
0: Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. If you're new to the channel, take a second to tap on the subscribe button, so you'll be notified when new science, theology, and news videos come out. Every once in a while, one of the Young Earth Creation Ministries takes their particular rigid methodology and applies it to other topics. So when I saw that Genesis Apologetics had turned their spotlight on one of my favorite topics, Jesus' resurrection. I had to take a look. It's like
1: uh, I was made for this. Did something amazing happen at Christ's crucifixion that led to the rapid expansion of Christianity around the Middle East, then quickly around the globe? This passage includes five events that can be evaluated historically. Darkness covering the land for three hours, the temple veil tearing in half, a significant earthquake, many graves opening, and the dead coming back to life and a Roman centurion and his soldiers having on-the-spot conversions after seeing the miraculous events at his death. Of course, a good question to ask before
0: evaluating something historically is, is the claim meant to be taken historically? One of the world's leading Christian resurrection historians, Mike Lacona,
2: is skeptical. I think what's going on here, when you look at the Greco-Roman and Jewish literature of the period, that would seem to suggest that Matthew does not mean for us to understand these in a historical sense, but he wants us to see these as what we would call as portents. Portents are always mentioned when an event of cosmic, even divine significance is said to have taken place. Um, It might be something that we have similar today when we say 9-11 was an earth-shaking event. We're not meaning to communicate that... Um, the earth actually shook, that there was a giant earthquake felt around the world on 9-11. It's a figure of speech. It's a portent. Josephus reports that just before the temple was destroyed, that a cow gave birth to a lamb. So we have to wonder whether these things were actually intended to be interpreted in this sense. So that's one thing that might cast doubt or give us reason to think that Matthew did not mean this in a literal historical sense.
0: But for an organization defending a 6,000-year-old earth and dinosaurs on an ark during a worldwide flood, allowing the gospel writers the leeway to have included literary devices and potentially portents, would betray their literal interpretation of the scriptures. Instead, they're
1: going to defend the historicity of these cosmic miracles one by one. Let's take a look at the first one. The three hours of darkness that occurred during the crucifixion, which was recorded by three of the gospel writers. The accounts given by Matthew and Mark were very similar. So similar, in fact, that over 90% of Mark
0: appears in Matthew, nearly word for word. This is why it's nearly unanimous among Bible scholars that the author of Matthew copied Mark. They are not
1: independent sources. And Luke, the physician, wrote, Whoever the author of Luke was, they also copied Mark. Note that all three writers testified that darkness lasted for three hours and that it covered all the land. Yes, because they all copied Mark. Was this a natural event or a supernatural one? Actually, we believe it was a supernatural event because natural events that cause darkness, like storms and eclipses, just don't fit the historical descriptions of what happened. If
0: by historical descriptions, you mean what's written in the Bible but we're attempting to determine if what the Bible says is historical or not. So you can't start with that conclusion.
1: But is there any historical evidence to verify that three hours of darkness really happened?
0: Yes, that's the question.
1: Actually, there is. We'll quickly review just some of the highlights from dozens of ancient historians who documented this event, and we'll use both Christian and non-religious sources. For centuries afterwards, historians continued to write about the supernatural event in ways that were remarkably consistent. I'm not sure why,
0: from a historical perspective, we should be excited to find out what people 400 years later were writing. Why not include 500 years later? Or 2,000 years later? Genesis Apologetics made this video in 2017. Should it add to your historical confidence? No. What we're looking for is the writings closest to the events ideally contemporaneous writings, that were penned at least within a generation. Later commentators are just commentators.
1: Outside of the Bible, the oldest account was written by a historian named Talus in AD 52.
0: Calling the third-hand sentence fragment of Thallus a report is rather generous, but we'll get to that. It's a minor point, but that 52 AD claim is nothing but massive speculation. Thallus wrote about the 167th Olympiad, which ended in 109 BC, and the first time he's mentioned is in the writings of Theophilus around 180 AD, so he wrote somewhere in that 300-year period. The reasoning behind the Christian-speculated 52 AD swaps the Olympiads and actually undermines the credibility for Thallus, which I will leave as homework for the viewer. But this kind of sloppy assertion is going to be a pattern with this video.
1: Scholars believe that Talus recorded the event in a way that minimized the supernatural, trying to explain it as just a natural eclipse. Scholars must assume what he wrote rather than know what he wrote because we no longer have Talus's original writings. We have the quotations from his works made by later writers such as Julius Africanus. This is only partially correct.
0: We don't actually have what Julius Africanus wrote either. What we do have is the writing of a 9th century monk named George Sinccellus, who in turn quoted 3rd century Christian historian Julius Africanus, saying,
1: Talus, in his third book of histories, explains away the three hours of darkness as an eclipse of the sun, unreasonably as it seems to me. Now the quote goes on to explain
0: how basic astronomy debunks such an assertion, since the date of the Passover is actually timed to the full moon, and because of the position of the sun, a full moon and an eclipse can't happen at the same time. But what Genesis Apologetics wants us to note is that Thalus actually bothered to take the time to address this darkness claim.
1: But Talus did not question the historicity of Jesus, nor the three hours of darkness that occurred at his death. Rather, he affirmed it. At the time of his writing, Anti-Christians had already been explaining the period of darkness as only a natural phenomenon, such as an eclipse. We have no idea what Thallus questioned or affirmed. All we have is a
0: few-word interpretation written by an opponent, and we have no reason to think that people were any better about strawmanning then than they are today. For all we know, Thallus denied the historicity, but chose to still put forth a more plausible explanation just as I deny the historicity of Jesus' resurrection, but could still posit a a Jesus-had-a-twin-brother hypothesis for illustrative purposes. That wouldn't mean be affirming anything. All we can tell is that Thallus was aware of the claims about Jesus' death. Affirming what some believed isn't the same as affirming that the belief was true. I can verify that in 2020 there are people who believe the earth is flat. That statement doesn't affirm that the earth is actually
1: flat. Phlegon of Tralles, a first-century Greek historian born not long after the crucifixion, wrote one of the most well-known books of ancient history titled Olympiads. Phlegon wrote, In the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, there was a great eclipse of the sun, greater than it had ever been known before. For at the sixth hour the day was changed into night and the stars were seen in the heavens. The time of the darkness agrees with Matthew 27. So the reported time of day, the sixth hour or what we
0: Westerners call noon, matches the time of day reported in Matthew, all
1: from people not wearing watches. His entry also gives us the year of the crucifixion, with the 202nd Olympiad running from July AD 29 to June AD 33.
0: And the four-year period indicated overlaps the traditional date for the crucifixion. Two points of commonality, but let's look at some differences. No unusual length of time is specified by Flagon. Which is strange if the length of the darkness was the most notable feature of the Gospel Eclipse. People usually describe the most unique aspect of event that they choose to write about. It was a particularly dark eclipse, but there's nothing remotely supernatural sounding here. More importantly, the passage of Phlegon says nothing at all about Jesus. Makes no connection to Jesus. Several eclipses can happen every year and a broad range of midday-ish events are said to happen at noon. Anyone connecting these two reports of darkness is making a
1: giant leap. But more on this quote later in the video. Another historian, Philippon, confirms the historicity of Flagon's statement by writing. Writing in the 6th century
0: now, mind you. At this point, 500 years later, he's basically writing interpretation and opinion, no more weighty than a modern historian's interpretation.
1: And about this darkness, Phlegon recalls it in the Olympiads. He mentioned the eclipse which took place during the crucifixion of the Lord Christ. Well, during the same four-year period as the crucifixion. And no other eclipse. It is clear that he did not know from his sources about any similar eclipse in previous times. Similar in that they are both reported to have started at noon, and similar in no other way. And this is shown by the historical account
0: of Tiberius Caesar. Philippon's argument is it because no other recorded eclipse sounds enough like the Bible story, that this must be the same one as the Bible story. That's starting with the conclusion and forcing evidence to fit. Not starting with evidence and seeing where it goes. Another well-known historian, Origen, writing in the 3rd century. A little better, but still far enough out to merely be addressing claims
1: like we are. But what was his opinion about all this? With regard to the eclipse in the time of Tiberius Caesar, in whose reign Jesus appears to have been crucified, and the great earthquakes which then took place, Phlegon too, I think is written in the 13th or 14th book of his chronicles, and Celsus imagines also that both the earthquake and the darkness were an invention. But regarding these, we have in the preceding pages made our defense, according to our ability, adducing the testimony of Phlegon who relates that these events took place at the time when our Savior suffered. Origen reiterating that the timing of the Flagon event is
0: within the same four-year window of Tiberius Caesar doesn't add any new information to the discussion, or authority to the claim. Origen sheds no light on the inconsistencies between the mundane Flagon eclipse and the allegedly supernatural darkness. Julius Africanus even wrote, We mentioned Julius Africanus earlier as the historical middleman through whom we know of Thallus. It's worth mentioning that he was a Christian writer, very sympathetic to the church father cause.
1: Phlegon records that in the time of Tiberius Caesar, at full moon, there was a full eclipse of the sun from the sixth hour to the ninth, manifestly that one of which we speak. Well, that's weird,
0: because Genesis Apologetics
1: already presented Phlegon's quote.
0: And while it does have that sixth hour start time, there's no mention at all of a ninth hour end time or any duration discussed of any kind. In fact, the non-duration-affirming quote from Phlegon is
1: very well attested. Additional writers who refer to Phlegon's account of the darkness include Johannes Philoponus, Malalus, Origen, Eusebius, and Maximus. Together, this makes seven ancient writers who directly quote Phlegon qualifying this fragment as one of the best attested ancient writings. And
0: yet, none of them agree with apologist Julius Africanus's bold claim that a length of time was specified in this passage by Phlegon. Did the other six make a mistake? Or was Africanus caught overstating his case beyond what the
1: evidence supports? Fourth-century records from the early church fathers include the letter of Pontius Pilate, which he wrote to the Roman emperor concerning Christ. Well-known historian Justin Martyr even referred to these records. Not exactly. In what is now known as
0: the First Apology, Justin Martyr twice appeals to the name of a document he calls the Acts of Pontius Pilate. In the 4th century, there were at least two separate and competing Acts of Pontius Pilate floating around. One pro-Christian and one anti-Christian. But both of them are considered forgeries. If there's one thing early Christianity seems to have inspired... It was forged documents. Since Martyr didn't supply any direct quotes, we have no way of knowing if Martyr was referring to one of those, or perhaps something completely different.
1: Pilate's letter stated, And at the time he was crucified, there was darkness over all the world, the sun being darkened at midday, and the stars appearing. But in them, there appeared no luster, and the moon, as if turned into blood, failed in her light. And in that terror, dead men were seen that had risen, as the Jews themselves testified. And the fear of the earthquake remained from the sixth hour of the preparation until the ninth hour. This quote is from one of those 4th century forgeries,
0: hundreds of years too late for it to be actually pilot writing, which is just one reason Christian scholars don't accept it. Also note, this account from a presumed eyewitness remarkably adds no additional details to what is found in the Gospels, but merely rehashes the already established narrative. A legitimate perspective from a Roman official eyewitness wouldn't match the disciples word for word. Tertullian, a Jewish consul. Tertullian was a Christian and a church father. I feel like calling him a Jewish consul is supposed to lend some kind of skeptic flavor here,
1: but he was an apologist. Wrote in AD 197. At the same moment, about noontide, the day was withdrawn, and they, who knew not that this was foretold concerning Christ, thought it was an eclipse. But this you have in your archives. You can read it there. That's the third century version of telling someone to Google it. Isn't it amazing that so many references exist that testify to such an unusual event? No. No, it's not amazing
0: at all. We have the Gospel of Mark talking about darkness. Then the authors of Luke and Matthew copied that, nearly word for word. We have a third-hand report of someone who, a hundred years later, thought this story sounded more like an eclipse than divine action. Then we have an Olympic historian who wrote about a regular old eclipse around the same time and in no way connected it to Jesus. Then for 500 years, church fathers repeated these things over and over. This is
1: far from amazing. The Tale of Darkness is For the Bible Tells Me So. Next, we'll take a look at the second of the five events that the Bible says occurred at the crucifixion of Christ, the temple veil tearing in half. Recent archaeological discoveries reveal that the temple in Jerusalem during King Herod's reign did in fact have a huge east-facing curtain. I've searched through what are called the Temple Mount excavations, and there
0: are a lot of them, as the site is the epicenter of the world's two largest faiths. I couldn't find this curtain discovery the video talks about, But I'm willing to concede there was a curtain based on the extensive documentation in the Old Testament. But did it tear?
1: A veil that was suspended on the eastern lintel in front of metal doors marking the entry of the holy place. The AD 33 earthquake evidently displaced the temple's lintel, tore the curtain, and shifted the pivots for the metal doors. From the wording, it's unclear if
0: this is conjecture or an actual archaeological claim. Again, I couldn't find any Temple Mount archaeology study that includes a lintel, which is a support beam across a door or window, or pivots for metal doors. I did find this 345-page paper from 2011 from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem that documented all of the fragments of metal that have been found so far at the Temple Mount. There was a metal door strap from a bathhouse, and there was a hinge, pivot, and lock case from a door of a bakery but no metal from the actual temple. I also found a sentence nearly identical to the video's phrasing in a 2012 presentation by Stephen A. Austin. For those oblivious to professional wrestling, you may recognize this name from a number of my videos and his appearance in the Is Genesis History movie. Given Austin's ties to the Young Earth Creation community that the video producers are a part of, I'm pretty confident this is the source for this claim. Sadly... The resources list for the presentation doesn't include data for this claim. So until someone can point it out to me, I'm going to read this as conjecture. And even if there were some bent bars in the rubble, Jerusalem fell in 70 AD, and the Second Temple was destroyed. There'd be no way now to distinguish between battle damage and earthquake damage. And so, the Torn Curtain remains entirely in the realm of For the Bible Tells Me So.
1: Next, we have the earthquake. We don't have to do much research to find out there was an earthquake when Christ died. Maybe you shouldn't
0: brag about not doing much research.
1: Let's start with the federal agency, the National Centers for Environmental Information. According
2: to their website, in 33 AD, the earthquake occurred at the crucifixion. This account matches the historical record in the Holy Bible.
0: Sadly, this 1985 source isn't available anywhere online but it's a catalogue of recorded earthquakes since 1606 BC. As the Bible records earthquakes, I expect to see them there. Strangely enough, the 1853 source is scanned and available, and the reason it matches the account given by the Bible is that its source
1: is literally the Bible. The books of Matthew and Luke specifically. It's... We've already covered many of the historical accounts that attest to both the darkness and the earthquake at Christ's crucifixion. These include Phlegon of Trals, who said an earthquake occurred in Bithynia and overthrew a great part of the city of Nicaea.
0: And the city of Nicaea is over a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. If this was supposed to be a sign from
1: God, a thousand miles is pretty far off. Origen who noted the great earthquakes, which took place during the crucifixion. He's talking about the same origin quote displayed for darkness. As you may recall, And the great earthquakes which then took place, Phlegon too, I think, is written in the 13th or 14th book of his Chronicles.
0: Once again, Origen isn't personally attesting to anything. Just telling people to read Phlegon. And Phlegon's earthquakes are a thousand miles northwest of Jesus' death. This is why I always actually check the references
1: to see if the source really says what the writer represents. It does not. Pontius Pilate who said, the fear of the earthquake remained from the sixth hour of the preparation until the ninth hour.
0: This quote isn't from the 4th century acts of Pontius Pilate forgery referenced earlier.
1: (laughs) No. This is from a whole different letter
0: that emerged in 1935 out of the holy city of Liverpool, England. Somehow. The document was examined by the Vatican, who labeled it a forgery. Scholars give no credence to either, but Genesis Apologetics is affirming both, in order to make their list longer, perhaps hoping that
1: no one will actually check. And of course, Matthew's account, which even many secular historians consider valid. Who? Who are these secular historians? And what do you mean by valid? Even Pliny the Elder wrote an account of an earthquake occurring in the surrounding regions at that time. In his work Natural History, Pliny the Elder wrote that
0: the largest earthquake happened in the Principate of Tiberius Caesar, when 12 cities in Asia Minor were raised to the ground in one night. Was this at the time of Jesus' death? Well, Tiberius Caesar reigned from 14 to 37 AD. So, maybe 33 AD, but we're talking about a pretty big 24-year period. Was this in Jerusalem, where the Bible reports the earthquake? No, Asia Minor refers to the region that is now Turkey, hundreds
1: to thousands of miles away from Jerusalem. Within the last couple of decades, geological studies published in several scientific journals document a significant earthquake occurring in that region in AD 33. It's about time! No
0: more sketchy or tangentially related history quotes we've got some actual peer-reviewed science to discuss. Dr. Steve Austin explains, No offense to Dr. Austin's lecture on laminated sediment in the Dead Sea, but since we're relying on peer-reviewed work in respected journals, we'll just look at those results. If you want to see more of his rocks, the link to the video is in the description. They are correct that this 2001 paper identifies sedimentary structures called seismites that correlate to a number of earthquakes documented by historians. Genesis apologetics chose to highlight the portion in the paper that repeats the historical claim they're attempting to affirm, in this case, the Bible. So naturally, at a glance, that part will look Bible-affirming. But in the science part of the paper, we learn that mixed-layer C can, at best, be dated between a range of 5 and 50 A.D., Of course, 33 AD falls in this range, but it's not the precise picture that Austin presents in his interpretive presentation. Always check the primary source. But even more damning for the rest of this video presentation, the science shows this particular earthquake was of small magnitude, limited to the Dead Sea area. So that would be final elimination of any relevance of these reports of earthquakes thousands of miles away.
1: Next, we have the graves opening and numerous people being raised from the dead after Christ's resurrection. Matthew recorded, The graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Wow. If this really happened, it certainly would have set Christ's death apart from any other in history and it would have created quite a stir among the people of that time. Right? We're talking many resurrected bodies going
0: into a major city and appearing to many, in the words of the text. One can imagine how Jesus might have gone unnoticed in the reports of the day, but many resurrections? That seems like something that would have made the secular news.
2: I mean, we'd at least expect all four Gospels to mention it, right? And sometimes when the early church fathers mentioned the phenomena at Jesus' death, such as the earthquake and darkness, they don't mention the raised saints. Why is that?
0: But no, only Matthew includes this story. It's as single source as a claim
1: can be. The apostolic father, Ignatius, records the earliest commentary we have on this event. Ignatius wrote to the Trallians. And that letter was written in
0: the 2nd century. So the earliest commentary is at least 70 years
1: after the event. Would we call that quite a stir for says the scripture many bodies of the saints that slept arose their graves being opened he descended indeed into hades alone but he arose accompanied by a multitude
0: for the scripture says so ignatius is just repeating what's written in matthew no more affirming than if i was to repeat what was written in matthew
1: early church fathers in the east also verified the historicity of matthew's account Cyril of Jerusalem wrote, For many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and they came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, evidently this city in which we now are, and appeared to many. Someone who says, evidently this city in which we are now, can't be affirming
0: the event. They're uncertain. They're qualifying. They're relaying a story they've heard about the event.
1: Finally, we have the letter of Pontius Pilate to the Roman Emperor. Yes, that same 4th century or later forgery, according to Christian scholars. Many other biblical and secular scholars confirmed this resurrection event, including Hilary of Poitiers. He wrote seven words, For the bonds of death were loosed
0: 300 years later. That's all. Chrysostom. A 4th century liturgy containing the phrase, To them in the graves hath he given
1: life. Wow and even St. Augustine, St. Ramesius, Thomas Aquinas, and John Calvin. These men were far too prolific for me to try to
0: find their sentence fragments that must be even lower down the list from what we've already heard. But these 4th century, 5th century, 13th century, and 16th century Christians can't meaningfully attest to a 1st century event. This all goes back to the one source of Matthew.
1: Finally, we have the centurion and those with him who witnessed the earthquake and other events, who feared greatly and proclaimed, truly, this was the Son of God. How can you possibly include this without the clip of John Wayne saying it? Truly, this man
0: was the Son of
1: God. What type of events would it take to persuade a battle-hardened Roman centurion in charge of an execution to come to great fear and acknowledge that Christ was the Son of God? Wait.
0: Did we just skip the part where Genesis Apologetics attempts in any way to pretend this story is attested by historical evidence?
1: Think about it. Here is a guy in charge of 80 soldiers that has moved to such fear that he admits right in front of his subordinates. I guess not. They agree. The only place we have
0: this story is one single gospel, Matthew 27.
1: So there we have it the darkness, temple veil, earthquake, dead people rising from their graves, and the same-day conversion of a Roman centurion and his soldiers.
0: And a 20-minute video that presented no extra-biblical confirmation, just a handful of notions that seem vaguely similar when the large differences or contradictions are ignored. These five so-called miracles
2: are... One more thing could be said here, and that is... If they felt freedom to do this with raised saints, the resurrection of the saints in Matthew 27, what about the resurrection of Jesus?
0: And let's face it, if you accept the Bible at face value, you're already accepting the resurrection of Jesus. And if you don't, nothing new would have been learned today to convince you, at least not when you look deeper. Always check your sources. For more on the resurrection of Jesus, tap on the thumbnail on your screen, and I'll see you over there. Later.